Slob. We're gonna do okay. slob. The slob. 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 It is Friday, November 13th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, Master's Student in Civil Engineering and Oval Office Expert, and with me today are Gordon Derrick, Contributing Editor at Dutch News and Mark Rutte's new Tweeter-in-Chief, and Molly Quell, Dutch News Contributing Editor, Princess of Wales Trivia Queen and Philly Landscaper. Those are all absolutely true job titles. That's a lot of titles, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mo- Molly and I uh, were talking about, Molly just listened to her a new podcast episodes or multiple podcast episodes on Princess Diana. I think I listened to a six-part series on Princess Diana, which is insane because I don't care about the royal family at all. I know, I was going to say, why would, you do th- why would you do this? Because that my favorite fun. podcast did a six-part series on, uh, on, pr- <laughs> on, on Princess Diana and it was super interesting. Right. So she bombarded me yesterday with all this uh, Princess Diana trivia. You didn't you bring this up? You mentioned something about Princess Diana. And then I was like, oh, did you know this? And then you were like, yes, of course, everyone knows this. And I was like, yeah, nobody knows this, Paul, only you, because you care about these weird, obscure things. <laughs> and then I did have like two stories that you had never heard of. So I was very proud of myself. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, but the real reason, the, your real job title yes. is the Philly Landscaper. Mm. Yes. Of uh, course. I am employed by and the co-founder <laughs> of a landscaping company in Philadelphia called uh, Four Seasons Total Landscaping, <laughs> which is absolutely objectively the best and most ridiculous story that has ever happened. I think even ever. though some of on the internet uh, claim otherwise, yeah, but I think true. it's only one person. The, uh, I mean, those people have been clearly hurt, like m- beyond repair. I yeah, think. Means, yeah, yeah, that's true. Could you give us a little roundup of I, what happened? I would love nothing more in the world. <laughs> um, what happened was is that on a Saturday, um, the Trump administration announced that they were holding a press conference, and the officials, the tr- sort of Trump staff had booked a uh, location venue uh, in a parking lot in a sort of industrial area in Philadelphia um, in front of Four Seasons Total Landscaping. (laughs) Trump misunderstood this uh, and tweeted that they were going to be having their press conference at the Four Seasons Hotel, which is a high-end like sort of hotel in Philadelphia. So first there was a correction for this. And then, of course, people turned up to this thing. And the Four Seasons Total Landscaping is located between a crematorium and an adult toy store. <laughs> and Rudy Giuliani proceeded to give a press conference, basically accusing the election of being stolen. In the middle of this press conference, every major news network called the election for Joe Biden. And as journalists do, everyone just started packing up and leaving because Giuliani is yeah. no longer the biggest story. There's a biggest story and in town. Yeah. yeah. And there's video of this, and it is glorious. <laughs> and I think the best part of all of this is while the election was called for Joe Biden, uh, Donald Trump was golfing. Yes, literally, he was yes. on the golf course. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, and also the uh, the Four Seasons Hotel at some point uh, tweeted yes. that they were indeed not hosting this press conference. So please yeah. stop stalling, uh, yeah. calling us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there are multiple theories as to why they yeah, held this did, press conference in this place. Say, um, did, we, did we establish if they meant to hold the press conference in the yes, Four Seasons Hotel, but it all went terribly wrong? Trump, yeah. was the, 
Trump was the yeah. one that screwed up. They the yeah. intention was the entire time to hold it in the parking lot in front of the Four Seasons Total Landscaping. <laughs> one reason for this is is that at the time the city of Philadelphia was sort of experiencing crowds of people running through the streets celebrating sort of voting out the you know proto-fascists that we have in trump (laughs) um and they were afraid that if they held it closer to the city center that they were going to end up being um perhaps drowned out by a series of professional djs who played beyonce over and over (laughs) again which is what had happened at the last trump press conference that they had called in philly a day earlier and there's also some rumor that this was one of the only locations that's more than 500 yards away from a elementary school uh, because one of the people who spoke was a convicted sex offender at this press conference. And in most places in the U.S., you're not allowed to be within a certain, like, you know, distance, distance. to an elementary school. Yeah. So there was someone who claimed to be from Philadelphia, but what was actually a New Jersey yes, resident, and that guy should be murdered. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it was a it was a glorious thing, and and the jokes have been fantastic. The memes have been terrific. Week. Yeah, but it's one of those things Indeed. that you read about it, and uh, you, you thought, I mean. Professional satirists and people who write things like Veep in the thick of it are just going to have a really hard job now because yeah. how do you make something yeah. more ridiculous and surreal than what actually you happened? Can't. You, you can't. You absolutely yeah, you cannot. You cannot trump this ever. No, no. not anymore. Um, yeah, it was fantastic. And I, oh, I, I immediately had to think of Veep <laughs> and uh, that this would... Even the writers there would never come up with something it would get such, out. It's uh, been such too far fetched, wouldn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. All the piece, it was, it was fantastic. It was brilliant. Yeah, was and then, and, and, and the crowning moment, obviously, was when Giuliani was told that the election had been called for for Biden, <laughs> and kind of raised his hands to the, the air and tried to, yeah, what little dignity he had left uh, after <laughs> Borat and this whole business just d- d- just evaporated away into the sky. It was yeah. wonderful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was surprised, um, surprised he didn't just go into the adult bookstore and hide because they probably quite impeding They did an interview. Somebody did an interview with the owner of the adult bookstore guy who was like, uh, I'm really annoyed because they're blocking all the parking and it's a problem. <laughs> Gordon, you have a new aspiring job at the Prime Minister's office. Okay. That's nice. <laughs> because? You, you don't know what I'm talking about? I sort of vaguely do, yeah. Uh, okay, I will try to remember, um, <laughs> make you remember. Um, Mark Rutte congratulated Biden in a tweet. Yeah. In the most dunglish tweet ever. The most dunglish tweet ever. It, it was, it, it was slight, no, it, it was, it was slightly, slightly off. So he, he needed to get it edited, basically. Oh, it was slightly yes. off from yeah. what I understood from all the British and American <laughs> journalists who were talking about it. It was the worst written tweet ever. No, I don't know if it was the worst lot, written tweet, but it was worse. noticeably bad, yes. And mm. then Gordon jumped in on Twitter and was offering to edit the Prime Minister's English language tweets for a fee. I That's think true. is what you're referring to. Indeed. Yeah. 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 No, that, that is absolutely true. Yeah. No, I, I just, yeah, I just did a standard thing. It was, it was obviously, he hadn't run it past a native editor. It was kind of one of those things that it would have been, if he'd said it, in speech no one would have noticed but the fact that it was in in writing um, made it glaringly ah. obvious there were a couple of uh, yeah a couple of like uh, language learner errors um, as uh, I think you refer to them if you're if you're TEFL trained um, yeah that, that needed to be corrected uh, so, so, so I thought you know he's a prime minister he, sh- he should hire an editor and I'm available 
So I thought, you know, <laughs> it, it's Twitter. It's, it's, it's an open market. He's a, he's, a, he's a liberal politician. He's probably probably up for people um, putting in competitive tenders. Whether, so um, I, I offered to I offered my services. All right. Well, uh, let us know if you have uh, if you got that job offer, and then we yeah, can have some insights the in the, in the cabinet office. Mm-hmm. And Paul, you're the you're the go-to guy for the Oval Office, uh, seemingly. Um, yeah, 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 indeed. Uh, yeah, because it was uh, the week of the U.S. elections, or actually the week after the U.S. elections, uh, we talked a lot about the Oval Office uh, uh, and, and about the U.S. presidency. And I was talking uh, with someone about the Oval Office, and he was convinced that it was the Oval Office was located in the central building of the White House, in that little round part of the facade, of the south facade it is, I think. Uh-huh. Um, but I corrected him. I said, no, it's not there. It's in the West Wing. And then we had a... Intensely long discussion about where the Oval Office was located. So and he, 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 he was trying to correct you on this. Yeah, he was convinced it <laughs> there was. There was a it whole was... TV show about this. For exactly, God's yeah. sake, it's With called the, name, the, West the West Wing. Wing. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed, but it but ran he was... for like ten seasons. <laughs> I know, but then it, at some point, I just I just googled uh, a floor plan of the White House and and. I was going to say it's really um, easy to check as well. Indeed, and also it, uh, the, the that little uh, oval-shaped thing on on Google Maps is la- is labeled as the Oval Office. Yes. But in the end, I I, I proved to him that he was wrong, and mm. I said to him, just just uh, uh, you you should have known by now that. Uh, uh, a discussion with me is pointless because I am always correct uh, about <laughs> things like this. So uh, this discussion could have been much, much, uh, shorter. much shorter. Yeah. And also, um, um, Arjen Lubach, the um, the Dutch John Oliver, he did a he did a fun little gig on on his show where he um, faked a, a a a vlog by Donald Trump. Yeah. Did we all see this? It, yes. it went pretty viral. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I was watching the show with my parents and uh, Donald Trump walked into the Oval Office uh, in this gig and I said, wait a minute, this is not Donald Trump's Oval Office, this is Obama's Oval Office because I recognized it from the red um, the red curtains. And yes. my parents were looking at me like, you're, you're probably the only person who, who noticed these kind of things. And then I was rereading um, uh, Fire and Fury by, what's his name? No, I don't know. Doesn't matter. The book. This this book yeah. about uh, Donald Trump's administration, and there was this this part about um, Steve Bannon, who uh, who said that in at Oval Office meetings he would just pop in and then sit in a corner and listen to whatever whatever was said. And I was like, wait a minute, this guy managed to find a corner in the Oval Office. This guy must have been a, a genius because there are no corners over there. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, Paul, as a, as a name have you implies. considered the fact, Paul, that this is why you don't have any friends? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I realize this by now. Yeah, I think if anybody was had the had sufficient supernatural power to manifest a corner, it would be like the evil <laughs> reptile that is Steve Bannon, though. So, indeed. And then we have some uh, fantastic Opeth. Is it is it better Opeth than the Four Seasons Total Landscaping thing? Oh, no, no, definitely not. Nothing no, will no, ever no, that, 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 that went beyond no, 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 Opeth, really, the Four Seasons yeah. Total yeah. Landscaping. Yeah, that was, yeah. yeah, yeah. 
No, um, um, fantastic upheft, but not for the children in Amsterdam, because this week it was the 11th of November, the feast day of St. Martin. And traditionally, that means that children would go, uh, go out door to door with their handcrafted lanterns made out of hollowed out sugar beet to sing a St. Martin song about cows stirring their tails. And they do this in exchange for candy. So it's basically the Dutch version of, um, of Halloween. Yeah, t- yeah, trick or treating, Halloween. I don't yeah. think um, uh, dressing up is is involved or wearing costumes, but I'm not entirely sure. They, 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 um, they do sort of wear, I don't know, um, nothing really elaborate like ever Halloween. But they, they do, they do. I've seen the pictures. They go out in these kind of sort of costumes, but but nothing that's hmm. like, um, you know, nothing like, like Halloween, Halloween costume. No. Uh, yeah, and they do have these lanterns, and traditionally they are made out of sugar beets, but. Uh, or I think more recently they just make it out of paper I think yeah. but it's 2020 so nothing is normal so uh, St. Maarten was no exception uh, the government issued a special map that integ- indicated where in the country it was advised to stay indoors and where children could go out but only if they kept the distances uh, special databases were placed online where people could check if it was safe to ring a particular doorbell <laughs> and in Amsterdam people were advised not to go door to door but the municipality instead proposed that Parents would let their children sing at their own doorstep, but Ophef emerged when they included more advice, namely to not reward the kids with candy, <laughs> but with Brussels sprouts. Mm-hmm. Which the is idea- like the worst of all possible <laughs> vegetables. Indeed, Indeed, yeah. How yeah. on earth would you come up with this? These opinion is sharply divided on Brussels sprouts, but children always hate them. I mean, that's just... Yeah. I mean, anyone like, who's actually, ever had a child or known a child would know this. I was a child who liked Brussels sprouts, so I will disagree with you on that. And I do like Brussels sprouts even now, but you don't snack on a Brussels sprout. Like, (laughs) you have to roast them in order for them to be edible. So, like, Mm. why are you giving them, I assume, like, individually or one or two of them (laughs) to kids? Like, at least if it was, like, carrot sticks, that's a thing that people... Eat. Eat I don't understand. Yeah. 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 Indeed. Um, one person on Twitter called the idea knettergek, and that's probably <laughs> the worst um, uh, 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 insult someone in the Netherlands could give uh, your ID. <laughs> yes. Uh, others asked how Brussels sprouts could be seen as a treat, and uh, at some point the municipality had to respond to the ophef, and they said it was only meant as a joke. We just wanted to say that this year everybody's free to celebrate Sint Maarten in any way they want, except. In large groups, yeah. standing close to each other yeah. Yeah, yeah, and going exactly. to strangers' houses. Exactly. Yeah. Just, yeah. just checking. Yeah, you can celebrate St. Martin, but don't actually do anything that you usually do to celebrate St. Martin. Right. Indeed. Yeah. But I, I was, um, I hadn't realized, Paul, uh, you mentioned that this, uh, this is a, th- you don't have this in the South. No, Listen. I thought it was a. Uh, uh, I, I looked it up because I'm from the south and yeah. we never did Saint Martin or any, in any any way participated in it. So I assumed it was not something that we did in the south. But in Limburg, it's it's huge. Oh, so, yeah. Um, it is it is a little bit divided. At some parts in the Netherlands, it almost looks like <laughs> it's randomly spread over the country. Uh, they celebrate Saint Martin, right. and in other parts they don't. We need to do the so, we need to do the Venn diagram of people who celebrate Saint Martin and people who celebrate Carnival. And obviously, Limburg is the party centre because they do both. Yeah. So if you want a fun time in the Netherlands, go move to (laughs) Sittard Galeen. Yeah, indeed. This week, more corona news. The island of Curaçao got invaded by infected fellow countrymen. Education Minister Ari Slop got everyone mad at him. Health insurers published their new prices. And spoiler alert, they ain't getting cheaper. And we have multiple intoxicating Belgian vegetable news. Coronavirus infections are falling. 
Weekly cases went down by more than 30% in the first week of the lockdown from more than 11,000 a day to less than 5,000. The number of patients in hospital is also down by around 20% and intensive care occupancy has levelled off at around the 600 mark. Health Minister and cruise ship casino croupier Huko Leonga told a Facebook <laughs> chat session this week that the second wave was definitely over and we could look forward to lifting the measures next week. But that invoked the curse of COVID because for the last two days cases have been going back up again. On Thursday there were more than 5,600 new cases, 1,000 more than on Tuesday, although that is still 20% down in a week. Hmm. Yeah. So uh, could this be just a, a random spike? It or? might be a blip. It's really hard to tell. I mean, the, the problem is it's so unpredictable that uh, people listening to this on Saturday or Sunday are probably going to be in a completely different situation. But it could be that we go, um, uh, we, st- we start going back down again, and by the middle of next week we're down at about three thousand. Or we could. This could actually be the start of another, yeah, little rise, uh, <laughs> another smaller wave, and we're back up to about six thousand. We, we just don't know. A mini wave. Yeah. yeah a mini yeah. wave. Yeah, so well, fingers. Yeah, but I, I guess I mean they're both plausible scenarios. But uh, we, we, we should know by now that, that just crossing your fingers and waiting it out and hoping for the best is about the worst thing you can do. So yeah, we'll see whether uh, we're actually in a position to uh, release this lockdown um, next Thursday when it's due to yeah, the libraries and the zoos and the sex clubs are due to reopen. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we do need, we do need to be worried about this upturn. I don't know. It's hard to say. I think it's too early to say whether this is definitely an upturn or just a blip, basically. Um, hmm. Yeah, because yeah, but this, I think today's figures, this weekend's figures, are going to be really crucial. And today, which is Friday, um, we're going to have a better idea of whether this is a sustained rise or it's going to go back down again. And most of the general trend, most of the figures are going down. Like the positive test rate fell last week, although it's still over fourteen percent, which is way too high. And the World Health Organization's benchmark is five percent. Um, and crucially, hmm. the R number dropped below one. So the R number, which yeah. calculates how many people are infecting more people, if it's below one, then cases should decline because each person is, yeah, 100 people infect 90 people. So over time, that should go down. Um, and the RIVM, the public health agency, calculated that that uh, dropped below one on October the 19th. So um, if their calculations are right, we've had about four weeks of the virus declining. Um, and also the amount of virus in the sewage system, which is this fantastic number that uh, no one pays attention to, uh, <laughs> <laughs> dropped by nearly half in the last week. Um, oh, so, wow. Yeah, that's encouraging. Uh, but it yeah. is still spreading through nursing homes. The uh, number of nursing homes with infections is still going up. Um, more than one quarter have now got at least one case of COVID-19. And that explains why the over 90s are now the age group with the highest rate of infection. And deaths are up to about 80 a day. So we're definitely still not still out of the woods. Are there um, like local hotspots? They were talking about doing regional measures, Gordon. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they they talked about uh, Dioma talked about some regional measures where you might have an, a full lockdown in the areas of the highest rate of infection, which would mean closing the schools as well. Um, nothing's got that severe, but uh, there have been upturns in a few places, like Amsterdam's cases have gone up at last again in the recent days. The Hague and Utrecht have. Uh, uh, gone up by smaller amounts. Twente also has um, alarmingly high rates. Um, and you may remember that last week, uh, in the wake of the press conference, uh, we discussed the uh, likely effect of this rush of bookings to the Dutch Caribbean. Curacao is only um, uh, permissible, of course, as long as it remains a yellow zone, as in um, yeah. uh, as in you're, you're allowed to travel there observing local mm. restrictions. But I think they fixed that because we're going to export the coronavirus now. 
Well, guess what's happened this week? Corona infections in Curacao have gone through the roof. So, surprise, surprise. No. Shockingly. Surprise. Yeah, no one saw that coming. Wow. So, we have indeed <laughs> managed to export the coronavirus to the, to, to the, to the Sunshine Islands. Uh, on Thursday, yeah. there were 51 new cases. That is a record for the entire pandemic. Uh, Curacao has a population of just under 160,000. Uh, so, that's pretty high. Yeah, it's, it's basically 100 times smaller than the Netherlands. Uh, so, that's the equivalent of us having 5,000 cases. Uh, 30 of the infections couldn't immediately be traced to existing cases. So, okay. where could they have come from? The authorities are investigating where they might have come from, but the videos going around social media of Dutch tourists hanging out in beach bars late at night and crowding close to each other might just provide a clue. Yeah, indeed. You <laughs> had fun time uh, um, stalking people on on Instagram, right? Uh, you just you just searched uh, yeah. Curacao in the in the you, location. You just uh, search Curacao search beach bar. bars and you see these uh, these videos of people, yeah, clear clearly not paying any attention to any kind of no. um, any, uh, rules. Um, and uh, yeah, the, 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 so the the bars are all closed uh, here in the Netherlands. So people jump on a plane, uh, go and uh, hang out in the bar for. With lots of other infected people for a couple of nights, and then get back on another plane and infect everyone else on the plane, and uh, yeah. yeah, and it goes around. It's, it's, it's the circle of life or the circle of COVID. I, just, <laughs> so. I, I mean, I too also would like to be able to go to a bar, not badly enough to sit on the what is it, an eight or ten hour flight with yeah. a face mask on, yeah, something to like that, deal, yeah. and deal with jet lag in order to be able to do that. <laughs> these people are clearly sociopaths. <laughs> yeah. No, the, the the videos from this bar were not very en- encouraging or, or not very hopeful indeed. Uh, I, I thought put a tent over it and it's the plane in The Hague. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But a little bit warmer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean, these infections uh, probably come from the Netherlands, but uh, uh, it's too early for this rise in bookings to to have an effect yet. But um, uh, well, if, these if are all the, these people, the, 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 um, the press conference was last Tuesday, and people were booking straight away. I don't know how when they actually no, two flew. We- it was two weeks ago. It's a, it's a week. It's a two weeks it's ago. Been two and a half oh, week and a half. Now. Week and a half. About ten days. Hmm. So, and given it's, five, it's about a five-day incubation period, it could definitely have started to show up. In fact, I'm sure it would have started to show up in the numbers. And they're probably going to get higher over the next uh, couple yeah. of days, I would think. Probably. So, stay for it, stay away from Curacao, yeah, people. Yeah, stay out of Curacao. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Just go to, go to your private uh, Greece uh, uh, seaside <laughs> second home or nothing at all. Yeah. And, of course, there's also a thing this week that uh, a guy in Rotterdam, he was uh, arrested by the police because he'd been, oh, yeah. he'd be, he'd been making, <laughs> making fake positive tests. No, so fake negative test certificates <laughs> and selling them yeah. online for a tenner. <clears throat> so all these people go to Curacao probably were infected, but they just got a fake certificate off the internet. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to go to Curacao and you that, that determined to go to a bar, you'll jump in a plane um, and wear a face mask for eight hours just so you can go and party, then you won't think twice about paying a tenner for a, a certificate that says you're not infected, but actually you are. So there's no yeah. hope, basically. No, there's no <laughs> hope. I have to say that this was the first time I heard about someone selling these uh, these fake um, negative tests. Yeah. Uh, there's also there's also a market for fake positive tests, by the way, uh, mm. especially uh, especially school uh, children who uh, who want want in order to stay at home uh, uh, for a couple of days. Indeed. Um, but I was surprised to see that uh, this was the first case I heard about it. I thought uh, uh, f- uh, many more people uh, would have come up with this. I'm idea. sure they are. Yeah. The, 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 yeah. But I guess they're too busy making crystal meth in their uh, <laughs> in their basements. That's the problem. Yeah. yeah. Education Minister Ari Slop shot himself in every possible limb this week. 
Uh, it all started with ophef surrounding fundamentalist Protestant schools in the Netherlands, which require parents of students to sign a document saying they reject homosexual lifestyles. These so-called identity declarations were highlighted during a routine debate in the Tweede Kamer on Monday, but the ChristenUnie minister defended the practice, saying that it falls under the constitutional freedom of education. He added that schools do have to create safe environments for students. Slop's statements uh, led to explosive reactions from MPs who couldn't understand how these two things could be combined and pointed out that the first article of the constitution prohibits discrimination against sexual orientation. D66 issued a motion that called on the cabinet to forbid identity declarations which was backed by coalition party VVD. Yeah, the... Um, uh, it, it, Ari Slop really shot himself in, in the foot here yeah, because he, he, he made was, everybody angry. Yeah, he was a one-man Brexit, really, wasn't he? I mean, he, they, yeah. he was that incompetent. Or, yeah. I mean, how... I guess I, I could have understood an approach which says that they are not going to actively teach that homosexuality or something is okay, which I would also have a problem with. But the thing that is at stake here is... Schools forcing parents to sign a declaration that they're not going to endorse homosexuality, like, at home? Like, this is seems crazy to me. Um, the declaration says that um, as a family and as uh, uh, as parents, uh, they... They, yeah, they reject homosexual lifestyles, uh, yeah. and that is a prerequisite for the students to to be allowed on the school. Yeah, that's, basically. Yeah, the, that's what it meant. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the hypocrisy is just, <laughs> like, really stark, because they're not yeah. having to sign a declaration saying that they're opposed to divorce and not allowing the children of divorced parents to be at the school. They're not uh, saying all I these think, other things. I think there are declarations for that as well. It not it not just stops with uh, homosexuality. They have uh, uh, the the declaration says more has more topics uh, 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 in it. So uh, they are also against uh, 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 divorces and also against um, uh, uh, yeah gay marriage in particular as well. Uh, Wearing so of this- blended fabrics. I yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, indeed, it, yeah. It, it ranges all sorts of topics, but uh, yeah. but especially the, the 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 part about the homosexuality is very worrying because you know school children very often have a lot of uh, trouble on, on in in high school with 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 their sexual orientation, and especially if you are at a school which you know actively says teaches the children that uh, what you are is wrong then this is of course not a safe environment for these children yeah right. so how on earth these two things could be combined we don't know but apparently Islops believes they can yeah it's was, it was kind of interesting I mean, this is mind-blowing for a lot of people i think that these declarations existed they had no idea and especially yeah a lot of people like people who listen to this podcast who are yeah who are um, internationals expats living here and kind of unaware of the whole existence of the Bible Belt and this subculture that exists there, but it's it's very strong, and the the, the fact that none of the Christian parties were prepared to um, uh, to, to, to to back this motion, uh, asking the cabinet to ban this practice, uh, kind of tells you how entrenched it is. Um, yeah, and how common practice how it common is practice actually is as well. Yeah. It's all common. Yeah, it, it's very much an everyday thing in in that particular part of the country. But yeah, the the, the fact that we have this um, um, very fundamentalist the testimonial um, uh, Bible Belt region um, is, is, is yeah is, is uh, it's quite a thing and um, 
yeah, I was interested because this all blew up, didn't it? In the debate that was uh, originally kicked off by the whole row from last week about the uh, the, the Islamic students uh, who protested against the cartoon in the classroom, um, yeah. and that led to death threats against the teacher, and um, and then it did it all, all all of a sudden. Uh, someone, I think DC Six, pointed out, uh, yes, we have this problem, but they've also got another problem with um, yeah with with, with with the hardline fundamentalist uh, Protestants who 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 want to teach that. Uh, the, that homosexuality is wrong and yeah. uh, it's, it's kind of a clear double standard indeed um, a day later Minister Slop uh, took back his words following pressure from the rest of the cabinet uh, the Telegraaf printed an almost minute to minute account of the cabinet's meeting on Tuesday morning uh, apparently Slop was the only Christian Union minister uh, present there because Carola uh, uh, Schouten was uh, was away uh, to Brussels I believe and uh, one, one the other um, deputy minister from uh, Christian Union was also not present so he was the only one there and the uh, the ministers were not prepared to back him and the, the VVD and the De Sestig ministers were furious at him for uh, for bringing uh, something like this up. So uh, the day later he had to make a U-turn. He uh, issued a statement on Facebook which uh, in which he wrote that he rejects um, uh, these declarations that deny homosexual identity of students. And he also wrote that the government will take a close look at these documents to see if they break any laws and if necessary uh, new legislation will be proposed post. Uh, and in the meantime, a public debate has started about Article 23 of the Constitution that ensures the freedom of education and that allows uh, anyone to open a school with a curriculum based on religion or other ideologies. Uh, and these Protestant schools uh, are, are the, the SGP people, the people in the Bible Belt, are really happy with this mm. article because it allows them to open these schools and almost, and it also allows them to to teach the children their beliefs that not necessarily um, are the beliefs of the rest of the country. Yeah, it um, gives, gives them huge influence, doesn't it, on uh, children's education and uh, the culture in that part of the, the world. So, yeah, you, you can see why they're so... Um, yeah, um, so passionate in defending this article because it's, uh, I guess, it explains Indeed. a lot why, why you have this, um, yeah, uh, why this mentality and this culture is so strong. Um, it's fascinating indeed. how the role of racism has really brought to light how problematic these schools are because, of course, since this is allowed, since you're allowed to start religious schools, uh, Muslims have started religious schools and then mm, everybody is exactly. all up in arms about this yeah. stuff. And yeah. so it's sort of really shown a light. The downside <laughs> of the upside, I guess, of the racism in the situation <laughs> is it's really shown a light on how problematic the Christian schools are. It, it always uh, leads to these interesting cases where whenever there's upheft about Islamic schools or Hindu schools that uh, teach children about homosexuality or discrimination or um, that women are not equal, for example, uh, 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 it always leads to these interesting cases where uh, the CDA and the Christian Union SOP are defending the Islam, <laughs> the Muslim yeah. schools yeah. Uh, because of this Article 23. They just don't want to get rid of it. Yeah. Uh, there is an interesting backstory about Article 23. It was installed in 1915. In, it was added to the Constitution and it was an exchange between uh, Orthodox Christians and liberals and progressives because um, they wanted to allow women to vote and it needed a constitutional change as well. Uh, and uh, the Orthodox Christians, they uh, allowed this only if this Article 23 was added uh, in their benefit. So that is an interesting backstory for this, uh, for this Freedom of, uh, of Education article. 
now let's do the rest of the political news from this week. Amsterdam's infrastructure chief, uh, Sharon Dijksma, is set to be appointed the new mayor of Utrecht, replacing Jan van Zanen, who has moved to The Hague. Dijksma uh, is a career politician who was the youngest ever MP when she first entered parliament for the Labour Party at the age of 23. After several spells as junior minister, she left parliament two years ago to take up the job of Amsterdam's infrastructure and transport chief. It is not clear yet who will take over from Dijksma in the capital where her primary role was overseeing the reinforcements of thousands of meters of canal banks and reducing traffic. Yeah, we. Um, uh, I think we covered it on a podcast as well a couple of months ago when this piece of 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 um, of key K key yeah K, fell key, into the fell yeah. uh, collapsed into into uh, into one of the Amsterdam uh, canals and. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's uh, it's. I wonder who will replace her. But she's one of these figures who always pop up in yeah. in in the news. I mean, she was uh, twenty three when she became an MP. She yeah. was very young. I think it was uh, around two thousand. And ever since she, her, her face has been in the news ever since. So yeah. she was an MP and she was a deputy minister, I think. And then she went to Amsterdam, where she was all, also all the time in the news. So uh, yeah, it's. Um, one of these persons that uh, uh, I I almost grew up with in yeah. uh, in in politics. Yeah, she just exists uh, as yeah. like a, a fixed point in space and time. Yeah, indeed. According to an investigation by television current affairs show Zembla, 21 MPs have provided incomplete or incorrect information when they registered their outside interests. MPs are required to do show to ensure no conflict of interest exists. Further, eight MPs have reported their outside role, but failed to state how much they are paid, which is also required by law. MPs who did not comply include, <clears throat> in news that surprises no one, Cherry Bonet, <laughs> leader of the far-right Forum for Democracy, who had set up a limited company to administer his income from speeches and books earlier this year. Bonet told Zembla in a reaction that is, quote, nonsense to have to register his other activities, quote, the idea that I could change my opinion about something because someone gave me a chocolate bar is absurd, he said, implying that Bonet is getting paid in bars of chocolate for giving speeches. Yeah, indeed, it's not about the chocolate bars. I mean, it, it could be about yeah. chocolate bars if it's very good chocolate. Yeah. Um, but it, obviously, it's uh, it's about lots of money that is involved here. It's about here. the cash, Bode. It's about the cash, yeah. Or, 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 or flights and private jets to Ibiza, yeah. for example. All of those things. Kroenling's yeah. parliamentarian Bram von Oik uh, failed to mention that for seven years he was the treasurer of a cooperative which runs private property in France, a position he has since given up. Five Tick Plus MP Leonona Satsis had not reported her links to a bankrupt company, and Desisasestic MP Pia Dijkstra, who is leaving politics next March, had failed to register that she is the joint owner of an apartment at a resort in Limburg, which is rented out commercially. So quite a few across the spectrum, lots of not great stuff. No, and I I don't understand how. I mean, as an MP, when you become an MP, it is it is made very clear that you yeah. have to be open and transparent about these sort of things. And I mean, if 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 Pia Dijkstra would have um, would have declared when she became an MP eight years ago that yeah. she is the co-owner of this apartment in Limburg, then nobody would have paid attention nobody to it care. because nobody cares. But now it seems dodgy, and it seems what are you trying to hide? That's that's how it looks like. And also there was a little bit of up about uh, a GroenLinks MP who. Uh, also is a uh, who, who owns a second house and is renting it to other people even though yeah. in the party manifesto it says that they are very much opposed to this yes. uh, people renting out second homes so that was also a little bit interesting yeah 
The left-leaning Dace Sussex Party has released its list of candidates, which includes six sitting MPs in the top 10 spots. Current opinion polls suggest that the party, which currently has 15 MPs, is on course to win between 11 and 15 seats in national elections in March. Rob Yetta is stepping down as party leader and being replaced by Sigrid Koch, who heads the list of candidates. Other MPs with a good chance of keeping their jobs are Jan Paper... Paper Nota? Oh, man, this guy's last name should definitely be Paper Nota. No, it's a... This happened before in the podcast. Yeah. Uh, the two, you, you, you pronounce his name as Paper Nota, but it it's Pater Nota. It's, it's yeah. what? Pater Nota. Pater Nota, yeah. yeah. But you, you, just call, you can call him Paper Nota Paper Nota. Yeah. Other MPs with a good chance of keeping their jobs are Jan Papernota, uh, Foreign Affairs <laughs> spokesperson Sjord Schwartzma, and Vera Bergkamp. The party also released their campaign slogan and marketing material, which didn't engender quite a Four Seasons total landscaping <laughs> level of ridicule, but did get a lot of laughs on Twitter. Yeah. Yetta was announced as Koch's running mate, which is absolutely not a thing in Dutch politics. The slick new campaign website lets you send a postcard with hashtag Team Koch and a picture of German Chancellor Angela Merkel and Prime Minister of New Zealand Jacinda Ardern, both of whom uh, do not align with Koch politically. Uh, Merkel is a Christian Democrat and Ardern is a a labor uh, politician. Also... Hus Vak, the political editor of the NRC, pointed out that some of their slogans seem to contradict one another, namely one that says, Wij willen onze bek niet houden, wij willen meedoen, or we don't want to shut up, we want to participate, and one that says, niet schreren, maar luisteren, or not shouting, but listening. So, aren't we all excited for election season? I'm already very tired of the election season. Um, Did somebody send you a postcard, Paul? Did someone send you a postcard? Yeah, someone just sent me a postcard, yeah. Uh, I t- t- took a look at uh, Sigrid Kaag's campaign website, uh, teamkaag.nl, and um, she mentions her party once. Um, she adopted a different color than the party color. The yes. party color of the successor is green, and she to- chose purple, a 50-plus purple almost. Yes. Um, she uh, sells these postcards with a uh, 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 politicians that do not have anything to do with Deza sister. So it seems to me that she's trying to distance herself from her own party, which is a little bit insulting for the 96% yeah. of, of, of party members that voted for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, do you know what her campaign symbol is? It's a shoe, right? It's a purple shoe. Isn't it? It's supposed to be like run with Koch. Is that like the idea? I think. I think so, and I also think it is uh, a little bit of a um, uh, a reference to uh, Hugo de Jonge's shoes, who oh. is of course leading to the <gasps> CDA. Okay, I, ca- I mean, I kind of enjoy that level of petty bullshit, so I'm I'm here for the the shoe if that's what it is. You you like the shoe? You approve of the shoe? I mean, I don't approve of the shoe because I think the, uh, what I thought it was was run with Kach, which is like kind of a weird. Because it doesn't mean the same thing in Dutch, and I think it's always weird when you have these, like, odd, yeah. like, English-isms and whatever. Yeah. But if the shoe is a petty shot at Hugo de Jonge's shoes, then I'm 100% here for it. Okay, yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. So, okay. um, so uh, I'll be a little bit here for it. Not fully here for it, then. Okay, and I have some influence on, uh, on, on, on party manifestos. 
Oh. Because I pointed out that um, all the party manifestos uh, write CO2 wrong. Oh, God, and this is your all fucking these hobby members, <laughs> All these party members noticed this and they uh, they, they, they filed amendments to, to change this to in their that. party manifesto. So uh, I did God's work here and I'm very happy with it. What that. do you hate more, Paul? CO2 being written wrong or bad graphs? Mm, bad graphs. Yeah. 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 If you appreciate our efforts to untangle the threads of Dutch electoral politics uh, or just have a laugh at D66's communication strategy, (laughs) why not sponsor some Patreon? All new patrons get a shout-out on the podcast and you can ask a question about literally anything. This week we say welcome and thank you to Mark Christopher Kratt, all the way from the dense forests of Quebec in Canada. Mark has a long explanation of how he came to listen to the podcast and gets bonus points for mentioning my book. He also (laughs) says, quote, I've always enjoyed English language podcasts from Europe as I'm a history and geography nerd and having some cultural context comes in handy. Yours is the only podcast I follow that isn't a slickly overproduced neutral no opinions nightmare, but we're certainly not slickly (laughs) overproduced. That's very true. Yeah, that's true. We're also not no opinions. (laughs) Or no sensible or reasonable opinions, definitely. Um, He says, please continue being witty and opinionated by Domaini informative, so that's very kind of him. Thank you. His questions are uh, I collect Dutch Donald Duck comics, but it's it's hard to find any comic shops in the Netherlands with an online presence who aren't devoted to 100% American comics. So, so, any tips on where to find Donald Duck comics? I don't know. I actually got a uh, flyer through the door this week of inviting me to subscribe to Donald Duck. So. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know, maybe if they do an overseas subscription service. <laughs> I, I don't don't think they send it overseas if you just have a regular subscription uh, in the Netherlands. If he wants to buy old copies, then I would suggest to go to Marktplatz, which is the Dutch eBay, basically. I actually have. I have an enormous stock of old Dutch Donald Duck comics that uh, a neighbor gave me, but um, my 15-year-old son is reading them at the moment. So, But maybe when he's a couple of years older, mm-hmm. I could pass them on to Mark. I don't know. I can't promise that, but... Uh, no, well, that's, uh, that's an excellent idea. And also, I would just suggest to go to Marktplatz. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people sell their old copies of Donald Duck over there. It might be a little bit difficult to have them send it uh, ship it overseas but you know if if you ask them nicely then and you're willing to pay the the, the extra cost then naturally it i don't think yeah. it would be a problem yeah i think mark plus is definitely the place so you can buy just about anything on mark plus crystal meth yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bitloaf bitloaf coronavirus test <laughs> yeah positive and negative yeah. yeah you name it yeah they should call it swarte <laughs> mark plus not yeah he also asked if you have any suggestions for other european english language current affairs podcasts and he has a particular interest in France, Belgium and the Nordic countries. It's oddly specific. I don't listen to any, any international news podcast, so I have absolutely no idea. Do you listen to our podcast? Sometimes, yeah. Okay. I listen to some of Politico's stuff. Um, I don't remember exactly what their like, daily or weekly news podcast is called, but I listen to that. Deutsche Welle has a couple that are also mm. in English and are nice. I think that one's called Inside Europe. Yeah, I, I think Mark specifically mentioned Deutsche Welle as one of the podcasts uh, that he classes a neutral no-opinions nightmare. Oh, I like the Deutsche Welle podcast, so I listen to it. <laughs> I started listening to the Europeans podcast, which is quite good. Um, so it's a woman in Amsterdam and a yeah. guy in Paris talking about pan-European stuff. 
Uh, the, the, the last one was about um, uh, Berlin Airport, you know, the, the Berlin's new Brandenburg Airport. And ah. actually, the, they invited a guy in yeah. from another podcast that I haven't listened to, but I'm, I plan to because it's called How to Fuck Up an Airport. Yeah, it, it's a great podcast indeed. It's about you think the Germans are very good at, at, at logistics and building stuff and yeah. uh, engineering stuff, but this will shatter <laughs> your worldview. So if you if you, you like your worldview right now, don't listen to it. But otherwise, it's, it's a very amusing. Uh, amusing podcast indeed yeah and then there's the paul admonson what is it called in conversation which is one of these like eu politics podcasts it's been around like since the beginning of time basically if that's also your thing you can check that out yeah but it's weird because paulie listens to lots of podcasts about american affairs but we don't really get into podcasts about europe because i don't know it's just not as not, not, not such good theater i guess i don't know i mean i listen to a lot of podcasts about europe i think like my partner does as well we, we talk about about it. the eu or about countries in in general yeah a bit of both like some of it is like EU stuff and some of it is just kind of like broader Europe affairs. What's going on in Paris? What's going on in wherever? Yeah. I also really got into a podcast called Romaniacs while Brexit was going on. That was very cathartic because they just uh, had a panel of people who just swore a lot about Brexit and how it was a total shambles. So <laughs> I would definitely recommend that. It's changed its name. I need to go away and look up look up its new name. Now that Brexit uh, is largely done, even though there isn't actually any kind of deal, they've changed their frames of reference a bit. But that was a good podcast as well. All right, so if you'd uh, like to join our band of sponsors on Patreon, log on to patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl. The basic premiums of health insurance companies will rise next year and often uh, more than announced on Prinsjesdag. The makeup of the basic health insurance policy is determined by the government and insurers compete on price and freedom of choice, as well as uh, top-up policies covering treatments such as extra physiotherapy. And the Dutch love their physiotherapy. Yeah, so there is a physiotherapist in every street corner. It's amazing. Indeed. All the new premiums have to be published ahead of a six-week window during which people can change to a new health insurance provider uh, last year 1 million policyholders did so uh, the government expected the basic health insurance premium to be an average of 123 euros in 2020 but say Z's premium will rise with 8 euro 65 to 12960 and VGZ's basic policy will cost 124 euros 45 a month a rise of 450 uh, Achmea's premium will rise with 3 euros to 128 euros 45. Uh, insurers said the increase in costs are not due to the coronavirus crisis, but because of higher wages in healthcare and growing prices of drugs and medicines. Uh, corona did result in an increase of costs uh, in intensive care units, but this was compensated by regular healthcare, which was mostly put on hold during the first lockdown. So, uh, guys, are you planning to uh, switch to a different health insurer? Maybe. Gordon has this whole thing about doing this every year. I usually do switch my to a different health insurer most years. This year was the first year I didn't switch. Wow. Really, because oh. I did the comparison as usual, and my current insurer turned out to have the best deal. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, I okay. usually go to a comparison website. I mean, I use Independa, but there are others available. It's uh, they all offer much the same service. Um, there's one um, insurer that's not in the comparison websites, which is uh, Promovendum. So if you if you really want to do a thorough check, you need to check them separately. And uh, my, my top tip that I come up with every year is that you yes. don't have to have your basic care package and your additional care package with the same insurer. You can mix. 
even though some of the insurers don't like this. They'll try and discourage you. Sometimes they'll like offer discounts if you bundle them up together. Um, but a lot of people don't realize that you can actually have two different health insurers. Yeah, this is the best tip because I also never knew this when, yeah, until either. you told us. It's a recurring tip that we always have uh, every year. But it's always just such a puzzle because there's so many different insurers and they they all obviously have, they haven't have this intense six-week window. So from now till Christmas, if you're here for the first time, which obviously lots of British people are uh, for, 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 yeah, for reasons we all know about, um, and you're doing this for the first time, you'll find yourself bombarded with adverts on television and flyers through yep. your door asking you to change your health insurer. Um, yep. But yeah, my, my, my two tips are go onto a comparison website, doesn't have to be the one I use, and uh, bear in mind that you, you can have um, your additional care package uh, from a different insurer from your compulsory basic care package. And the compulsory care package is basically the same for every insurer, but they all charge different prices. Yeah. And, and then the additional care is just whatever else you need. This year I booked some extra physiotherapy because last year I had uh, a back problem. So um, I booked in for extra physiotherapy, which I haven't actually used. So I'm probably going to change again <laughs> and, and try and find a cheaper package. I finally succumbed to Gordon's advice to change my healthcare package. And it was such a headache for like saving four euros a month that I do yeah. not think I will be doing it this year because I just don't care. So if you are like me, you can also just say, I don't care that I'm giving a health insurance company five extra euros a month. I just don't want to have to deal with the hassle. Yeah, yeah I only have the uh, the basic health policy, so I just gonna look for whichever is the cheapest. I think I'm already there. I'm just uh, always very anxious to deal with health insurance companies because they always mix up uh, me and my triplet sisters. Yes. Um, so uh, I'm not very keen on switching to another health insurer because that will only mean more mix-ups and more hassles and more letters that I'm not insured, even though I I am. Um, so that's also one of my uh, my incentives not to uh, not to change to uh... don't be a triplet that's also our advice to listeners Sports news. Uh, the Netherlands face a crucial week in their campaign to win the sporting equivalent of the waterboard elections. Yes, it's Nations League time again. Aranya warmed up with a one-all draw in a friendly match with Spain in Amsterdam. Out of form and out of favour, Manchester United striker Donny van der Beek lashed the ball into the roof of the net at the start of the second half to equalise after Sergio Canales had put Spain ahead. In an appropriately frank post-match interview, Frank de Boer admitted his team had been sluggish in the first half but performed much better after the break and they could have won it if either Memphis Depay or Luke de Jong had put away good chances uh, in the second half. That does mean though that de Boer is still looking for his first win after four matches in charge of the national team. He'll be hoping to break his duck on Sunday at home to Bosnia-Herzegovina in the Nations League game before the crucial and probably deciding match on Wednesday night against Poland in Khozov. What? Does breaking your duck mean? Breaking your duck? You never heard of breaking your duck? No. It means uh, if you're on a score of zero, it's, it's uh, used mostly in cricket. Ah, uh, okay. Uh. That explains why nobody's ever heard of it. <laughs> yeah, in cricket, if you're out before scoring, out is the term you also have in baseball. No, I, I know what out is. That's fine. If you're out before scoring, that means you scored a duck. So you break okay. a duck by scoring a point or scoring a win. Okay. Can we please move on? Yeah, let's do. <laughs> Our other sports story this week comes from everyone's favourite holiday destination, Curaçao, <laughs> which has had uh, some of a soap opera going on. Former Netherlands manager, Hoos Hiddink, has been waiting for months to take over as national team coach. 
Hiddink, who's 74, was appointed in August to succeed Remco Bicenti, who was upset for three reasons. Firstly, he'd done quite well. He'd taken the country from 158th to around 80th in the world rankings during his four years in charge. Secondly, because Hiddink was initially approached in February to work as an advisor to Bicenti and then all of a sudden was offered his job. And thirdly, because Bicenti learnt he'd lost his job from the media during a cycling holiday in Gelderland. <laughs> was Who he was in charge of his HR? Trump? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I think he was cycling across a garden centre car park at the time or something. Located between the cremation room and a sex shop, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, where isn't in Gelderland, you know? Yeah. Uh, so Bicenti so wrote a long letter to the Curacao Football Federation under the title Mein Ehrlich Verhal, or My, oh my True God. Story. The Federation then responded by taking him to court for breaching the Professional Coach Association's <laughs> Code of Practice. <laughs> Hitting at this point backed down and said he didn't want to take up the job until the whole court case mess had been resolved and he wanted Bicenti to retract his letter, but Bicenti was having none of it, so they went to court this week. He is also demanding compensation from the Federation if the team reaches the World Cup Finals in 2022 because it's partly down to his work. So, what do we have here? We've got a guy who won't quit his job, we've got an older man who can't take over because of ongoing court cases, we have a big reveal in an outdoor venue, can you kind of see which direction this is going in? You just can't escape it, man. (laughs) Yeah. I was in a hearing for a Kosovo war criminal thing this week and somebody started quoting Joe Biden and I was like, this is not, please stop. Like the US elections do not have to permeate every news story. But they do. And they do. Yeah. That's okay. It's Your turn is coming, Gordon, because it's going to be Brexit time soon. We're going to move on from Trump and we're going to do Brexit. Once it's all blown over, Brexit is going to rear up like a big ugly tsunami wave. Oh, yeah. yeah. As we discussed earlier, the Limburg police were on the hunt for what they thought was a secret marijuana plantation when they discovered instead that the owner was cultivating chicory or vitloaf in Dutch. There's multiple Belgian vegetable stories, and I am not here for this. This is just not the podcast (laughs) that I signed up for. What is uh, is the American word for We call it Belgian endive. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so more Belgian Belgian vegetables. vegetables. The police had been given an anonymous tip about the plantation, and after noting that electricity might have been illegally tapped, they decided to check out the house in the industrial town of Gielen. The surprised resident was happy to show the police around, and once in the cellar, one of the police officers (laughs) spotted a wooden construction which he thought looked to be hiding marijuana. Instead, he uncovered buckets of chicory. To produce chicory, as Paul said, the Americans call it Belgian endive, the root of the plant should be buried in the soil and kept in a cool, dark place to force it to produce pale, densely packed leaves. And just to be clear, it looks absolutely nothing like marijuana. No, but I guess the the installation would be similar because for marijuana, you need a lot of light and you want to keep that in your plants. So that's why you cover your your uh, your plantation. And also you don't want the outside world to, to have this uh, ray of light coming out of your windows, right? In order to... I mean, from the pictures that I saw of the uh, chicory plantation... I mean, it seems extremely dark in there. And I mean, I am not an expert marijuana grower, but it definitely needs like a lot of sunshine. So I think it probably should have been obvious that this was not going to be a marijuana plantation. I mean, you know, you could be hiding dead bodies in your basement. I don't think it's like inappropriate for cops who get a, you know, what seems to be a viable tip that there's illegal activity going on to to want to check something like this out. It just yeah. is hilarious. Yeah. Well, do you think this this uh, police officer that found out that he was looking at this uh, Vitloff growing 
uh, thing. How how hard do you think he was laughing when he discovered this? They must this? have been laughing extremely hard. In particular, yeah. because Vitloaf looks exactly when it's growing looks exactly like Vitloaf. Like it, it's yeah. there's no, you know, it's not like a, a root vegetable or something where like you see the tops and you have like no idea. You're like I don't know. This could be a carrot. Like this could be a weed. Whatever. Like basically, the part of the Vitloaf that's like from the little like flat bottom up is visible above the dirt and so it looks exactly just like somebody stuck a bunch of it loaves in a pot which is basically how they grow <laughs> yeah, and it's extremely yeah. entertaining yeah how do we know this did the police put this on facebook the police or released a statement about it which is really funny mm, yeah yeah, yeah uh, it's a nice little bit of um self uh how do you call that uh they, they thought it was funny too so they yeah. just uh published it yeah, yeah it was funny yeah. Uh, I really don't like Witloof, by the way. I hate it. I like Witloof. I like all these Belgian vegetables, apparently. <laughs> you are a Belgian vegetable fan. A Belgian vegetable um, fan, yeah. That's your, that could be your, your new job title next week. It could be. But Brussels sprouts are only really good if you, like, roast them with bacon. That's pretty much the only way that I'll eat Brussels sprouts. Or if you shred them and make them into a salad, like, you can make a nice salad out of them. But other than that, I yeah. don't really like them. But Vitloaf I quite like. My sister's favorite dish is uh, Vitloaf with ham and cheese. Mm. Niels makes that sometimes. When she was uh, studying uh, uh, in Wageningen, she would come back home in the weekends and my parents would just always make that for her because that it was her favorite dish. Yeah. So I hated when she came back from Wageningen <laughs> because then we had to eat this, this ridiculous dish, which I really didn't like. Oh. And... Um, yeah, so I uh, I have a little bit of a trauma regarding uh, Witloff. Neil sometimes makes a like um, apple salad yeah, with salad. blue cheese and then serves it in a Witloff leaf, which I also like. I also think is good. Uh, yeah, my my dad loves to eat Witloff with uh, sliced apples in a salad. Mm, yeah, that's also nice. I think, and I've also had it where like you braise it basically, so it gets like really caramely and delicious, and that's also really nice. That's all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a rating, and you can also back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl. You can earn yourself a free shout out and uh, you can... Ask us all your ridiculous questions to us. We will answer them gladly. My thanks to Gordon Derek and Molly Quell. I'm Paul Peters and we'll be back next week.